Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I am with Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel. This is a, I think this is the first time in well, maybe close to a month, I think, since we've all been together. So welcome, Fathers, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Good to see happy you, Happy New to you. Well, I meant kind of happy new liturgical season, right. actually, but it's, well, it is a new season, but it's not the new liturgical year. Right. So today on Sound Insight, we're going to catch up on latest happenings in the lives of our good fathers. We are going to talk about the Seek Conference that Father Lewis attended in uh, St. Louis, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, catch up on Father Nagel and how he's doing, and talk a little bit about some of the things that... Uh, I'm doing this year that's different that I think Father Nagel will smile at, Father Lewis will shake his head at. (laughs) What are those things? You'll find out in a minute on Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Father Nagel is going to lead us with a scripture and a prayer. Well, as we get you know, into the beginning of the ordinary time, uh, see, I guess maybe you call it a season, um, I'd like to begin with the idea of Jesus' own uh, public ministry from Mark. So this will be Mark chapter 1, 14, 15. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Lord, we do ask you for the power and grace of faith and repentance this year that we might, uh, again, just open ourselves up to your kingdom and that we might live out your grace and your plan for us. And so bless us in this time going forward and bless this time we spend together on this, uh, this next hour. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, fathers. All right. So one of the reasons it's been a while since we've gotten together is I've been sick. Ah. And so, Father, I had to be healthy enough. Father Lewis, I'm talking to right now, before we could let you back in the house. (laughs) Now, I've discerned that I'm well enough. I'm still not perfectly well, but I think you've been around enough sick people in the last few weeks to (laughs) have built up an immunity. Have have you noticed folks having uh, sort of carried with them uh, extended flus and multiple concoctions of flus? I haven't noticed the flu actually so much, at least at, not at St. Mary. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's people coughing and hacking the usual kind of colds, I suppose. But um, I, when I was in uh, St. Louis for the C conference, I could, especially the day before I was supposed to give my talk, I could feel the cold trying to come on, but, but I refused to let it and also drank about 10 gallons of water a day and found whatever OJ I could find, <laughs> kept it at bay. But um, I haven't been hit terribly yet. How about on the West Side, Father? You know, I I don't know. It's the usual. I'm not sure it's above usual. Um, I read some of those stories that there's these respiratory diseases going on, et cetera. But I think it's just typical January, which is increased, but I don't know if it's worse than usual. Yeah, so it's interesting. And I'm bringing that up, not just because I want to talk about being sick and getting better, but just that idea of sometimes people will labor in sickness 
Now, let's talk about this more than just physical, mm. right? There can be a spiritual illness that plagues our lives that we just sort of learn to live with. Mm. We just sort of learn to live with and think that that's what reality is. I was reflecting uh, just last night and this morning in prayer. I had talked to someone who is in a, let's call it just a broken life circumstance. And the challenge was she didn't think so. Mm. She thought all was well with her and with her world, even though it was manifestly broken. And I first began with a sense of like a pity, right? Like, oh, how sad is that? And then I began to think and say, wait a minute, be careful that I'm not uh, underestimating the degree to which my life has blessings associated with it because of God's mercy. It's really and truly, in large measure, you know, over 90%, very simply, that God has been incredibly merciful both to rescue me from the poisons of sin and darkness and brokenness and, and, and sin that plague my life and the lives of those I love, but in addition to preserve me from falling into those situations where my life would be potentially far worse than the measure that I'm measuring this person that I'm talking to. That how our lives are so dependent upon the mercy of God. And it, it made me, it humbled me mm-hmm. in my reflection and prayer uh, about the, like the condition, the, the, the situation that I have and, and, and get to live in my life. It's because of God's mercy. And that's sort of like just laying a foundation right there for our conversation today. Fathers, what do you think about that? I think of uh, St. Philip Neri's uh, famous quote, you know, looking at a man, I think, drunk, passed out on the streets in Rome in the 1500s. He says, there, but for the grace of God go I. I think of that too, and I see people caught up in all kinds of uh, sufferings or discomforts or whatever, even just uh, maybe a squalor of their life's conditions. And yet they seem to be uh, uh, content and even joyful. Where I'm thinking to myself, man, if I were in your shoes, I'd be like grousing and griping. So it's like maybe they've settled into the new norm and, and, and that is good or not good. Or maybe God just knows like they can handle it and you can't. So that's why I'm preserving you. Like I'm, I'm uh, you know, there But for the, my That's grace. even more humbling. I know. It's like I'm, I'm not as strong week. as that person, I'm right? So God needs to coddle me, whereas this person can handle what they've got, you know. Yeah. Well, that was it. Teresa of Avila's attitude towards the the mystical gifts that she received, and some of the sisters in her order that did not receive those kind of gifts, um, consolations. She said, "Really, maybe they don't need them, but I do." Um, that God doesn't choose the best to give these to. Sometimes He chooses the weakest uh, and the most sinful, knowing that those who who are solid in their faith and humble in their attitude don't, really don't need that kind of reinforcement. And so, you know, I don't know, but that, I think that she, she would be on your side in that, Father Lewis. I think she'd okay. say, yeah. I, when I was listening to you, Tom, I, I was thinking more about, you know, how it reflects upon me, perhaps, each one of us, I suppose. You know, what, what's become the new normal for me that's not normal at all? Um, that again, you can think. Have you ever lived in a house where it's just dirty and it smells bad and it's etc.? But you get so used to it that it's, then somebody else from the outside comes and says, "Why are you living in this dump? I mean, um, this is horrible." 
And you say, really? I, I just kind of got used to it. I think that's a very profound point, Father Nagel, and it, it very nicely like floats into my next question for you all and sort of point of reflection is that uh, asking ourselves the question at the beginning of this uh, new year in a time of resolutions, one of the things that can sometimes break through is what am I settling for? Right. So there's the what am I taking for granted, which is God's mercy, God's mercy sustaining me with so many blessings. But what am I settling for that is leaving me in, let's call it spiritual squalor or even um, like spiritual diminishment where there are so many more riches for me if only I was willing to access them. And I I have a theory about that. I, I want to run it past you both fathers, but let me just start with that, that there might be some folks who are saying to themselves, well, one of the reasons people live in, let's call it squalor, is that they don't have eyes to see. It takes the eyes of someone from the outside to say, why are you settling for this? Do you realize the condition that you're in? Let me see if I can come alongside you and and help you not only see differently, but take different action. What would you say are the an example or two of a, let's call it spiritual squalor or spiritual diminishment that we have settled in and simply welcomed, accepted, embraced, and even pursued in our lives? I think of sloth right away and in its various forms. People might use it as an excuse. You know, they won't call it sloth, but this is this is how I, this is my weekly routine, this is my prayer routine, and they're kind of like stuck in a rut and they're content. On the one hand, if if all that they're doing in their spiritual lives and engaging in their devotionals is uh, helping them grow in holiness and being closer to God, then why fix it if it's not broken? On the other hand, if they are just content because they're stuck in a rut and they're not pursuing greater heights and holiness, you know, even though they're doing holy things, there's still some sloth there, and they'll folks will use it as excuse that I'm, I'm fine how it is, and 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 kind of just rest in that, I guess, uh, spiritual laziness. I think that's an aspect of spiritual squalor. I suspect I observe frequently. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know. There's those. I think it's also the, those who, of us who live in minimalist. Like you know, if I keep the precepts of the church, I'm fine. Um, like the bare minimum, just scraping over the bar, and, and but assuming that that's actually good. That I've done. You know, I go to mass. Even if you say I go to mass every Sunday, um, and, but that's it. You know, again, you're th- you're you're settling for something. You you have a a misplaced prioritization of what the what God's really offering us. And I think that that, again, it's not a matter of sinning, although that we could talk about situations where we get used to sinning as well, which is much more serious. But if you're simply talking about, I'm just settling for a lukewarmness that not realizing that uh, there's so much more. I There's a story, I think you might have heard it before. I, I heard a, a, a priest use it uh, for a first communion. But she, it's, I think it's a fairly famous story of, uh, maybe apocryphal, of the, the immigrant family coming over on the steerage down below decks uh, back in the late 1800s. To Amer- they're coming to America. And their tickets, just you know, they, don't, they don't realize that uh, they had to bring their own food. They're running out. It's really bad. 
And then one little boy goes up to the to the upper deck at one point, gets hungry and stands in line. Things that actually their ticket allows them to use this cafeteria up on the, one of the top decks. And they've been trying to live down there with their stale bread and their the crummy food they brought from Europe and not realizing that there's a whole different level of life up there. And they've actually been invited to it. They, they have it. They have the right to it, but they didn't even know that they could go upstairs to get that. And I think that sometimes it's just the ignorance that we have of how much God is really offering us as opposed to what we're settling for, it's even in terms of, of prayer life. Um, and the idea that if I do the minimum, that's fine, as opposed to a relationship that he, he, just, wants us, he just wants more so he can give us more. So, Father Nagel, I think you were like reading my journal this morning because you've literally walked me into my next line of questioning for you all, Father. So uh, maybe it's the Holy Spirit. We'll just call it the Holy Spirit, okay? We'll, I we'll blame God Spirit. for this. But uh, you talked about that two levels. I love the story. I love the story. Uh, and if, if we ask the question, why do so many Catholics, let's call them self-identifying, practicing Catholics— who, again, have a percentage of practice and belief that is shockingly low. I'm not even talking about inactive and falling away and no longer self-identifying, but let's just talk about the active Catholics that are flooding your churches. Um, Why do we continue to stay below deck? And I'm going to propose that we don't see enough witnesses of the higher, richer, flourishing life of faith. There's not enough radiance of holiness that comes from following Jesus more profoundly, completely, pursuing Christ more passionately. And as a result of that, the idea that the gospel, when embraced, the practice of our faith, when pursued with passion and vigor, that it makes that much of a difference because I don't see the difference in the people that are around me. So I think I'm doing great, especially compared to all those folks. Like I can just point my finger and say, that whole swath of the church over there, I'm feeling like I'm doing great. I don't see what the difference is because there aren't enough witnesses to the difference. All right, Father Nagel gets to go first. Sorry, Father Lewis. <laughs> Father Nagel gets to go first. Well, I would say amen. That's, that's certainly uh, clearly the case. And I would start with us priests. Um, I mean, how many, how many of the clergy are on fire like that? I mean, look, look, let me look in the mirror. Um, that you know, we're not telling the people down the steerage, hey, you know what? There's food up here. Um, in fact, I'm cooking it. Um, come on up. Uh, in fact, it's really good. Instead... Again, we we just leave them down there in the steerage to eat their stale bread, and th- they're they're surviving, but they're not thriving. And so I, that would be the first thing I would put on. It, it's not a clericalism to think that okay, you know what? If you're ordained a priest, you've been called to this missionary work of of calling the people, most importantly, by your own spiritual lives. And so I would say that that's I completely agree with you. And I think, um, boy, we have to look in the mirror. Um, that when, when the church is lacking faith, um, it's probably just a, a good part of it is that the, the ordained clergy are not really doing what, being who they're supposed to be. Now, just to be clear, I didn't ask the question for that answer, but that's a very humble and profound answer. It, it's true, isn't it? I mean, th- seriously, don't you think it's true? Um, 
Well, I thought that Lewis answer. <laughs> I think it's true. I, I, you know, I, I don't think that uh, I can ask uh, my folks at my parish to uh, embrace a richer prayer life if I'm not myself, am not willing to do that or not, you know, bothering myself to to try. So, kind of, you know, practice what you preach or you know, doctor heal thyself. I was thinking too, like, why don't myself, I myself as as a priest, as an individual Christian or other individuals, why don't we seek the higher deck? Um, I think a lot of it might be, you know, right now things are comfortable and, and it's kind of great because, you know, I've, I've given up a little bit for God, and but you know what, i got to keep all these essentials. But if I keep going higher, God might be asking for more, and, you know, and I, you know that's scary. My, God might ask for a change in my life or, or something, and, and I, I can't let go. I think that's something that individually a lot of people deal with. But I also wonder if culturally, as a as a culture in the American West, um, you know, we get things like, you know, I, I, even as a student, I just couldn't stand it when classes, when certain professors or whatever would grade on the curve. My ad, my response is like, look it, if that guy didn't earn the C, but gets a C because of the curve, that's ridiculous. So I, I made a point of pride to try to break the curve, to try to raise the bar even higher because people get should get what they deserve. So it's like, you know, maybe as a as a, Christian culture in the West, it's like, you know what? I am doing better than all these people around me as if we're living life like it's graded on the curve. Like these right. people are really dragging it down and I'm like higher than them. So that, man, I'm, I'm like a shining, shining star in the sky here. And, uh, but God doesn't grade on the curve. God, God looks at each of us individually in terms of our personal relationship with him. And God would have died on the cross for just me or for all of us, which he did for all of us, you know, so it's a very personal matter for God, and I wish that we would respond. But it seems like we got cut this attitude of, well, I'm, I'm, I'm better than them, and God grades on the curve, so things are just fine. So again, another great and humble uh, point. Uh, I'm going to say a last anecdote, and then we'll take a break, and then come back, and I've got two stories to launch us into the next point. All right, so the anecdote is, uh, people, uh, if you think back 25 years ago, Mother Teresa was still alive, now St. Teresa of Calcutta. And people used to say, hey, what do you expect? I'm no Mother Teresa. Well, guess who never said that? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa (laughs) never (laughs) said that. And when people would say to her, like interviewed, well, people would say that you're a saint. And she just always said, I'm just following Jesus. She didn't, you know, it's like people compare themselves to to Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa never compared herself to us. (laughs) She always compared herself to Christ, Mm -hmm. the standard, the norm, the one that she was pursuing. And so I think that... um, uh, if we, we have to elevate our vision to be able to see uh, the way that Mother Teresa saw. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, right? All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, more sound insight with Father Lewis and Father Nigel. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that As a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran, and it's a great joy to be with you all, including Father Lewis and Father Nagel. All right, so fathers, uh, we're talking a bit about 
the pursuit of Jesus Christ and living as radiant witnesses of the gospel and how we can live below deck, to use the, uh, the analogy uh, that Father uh, Nagel had brought out, and we settle for less. And why are we, who are fully engaged in living our faith, still settling for less? And I brought up St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. I want to say that it's when we read the lives of the saints or we read the writings of saints that we get elevated, we get stirred, we get inspired to go higher. Uh, I'll tell you one story, and that is uh, there's a story about St. John Paul II, and he was out on one of those uh, like uh, wilderness adventures with the college students, and they got up one morning and couldn't find him, and they sent someone off in different directions to try to, where was Father Wojtyla? And they got to the church and come to find out that he was there prostrate on the floor. He had spent the night uh, adoring the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament by himself. And you hear stories like that, and it's like, dang, you know, that's the kind of thing that invigorates us, is reading the lives of saints to elevate us to the next level. And the last one, Father Nichols going to love this one. I picked up, uh, again, the collected writings of St. John of the Cross and started going through the ascent of Mount Carmel and the Dark Knight, just different sections of it. And it is so cleansing of any sense of sloth, any sense of, uh, oh, I think I'm doing great. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It just is whacking me down into a humility to say I am such a spiritual uh, you know, midget. I'm just such a, a tiny, tiny follower of Christ compared to the what he is writing uh, about in terms of the spiritual journey. Uh, I'm not even a beginner. Haven't even reached the beginner stage compared in what he is saying there. So, um, what do you think about that as a way of elevating us as we're in this new year to say, I want to live in a brighter, more radiant way, the fullness of the gospel and my following of Christ, looking to the saints and to the saints' writings? And if so, what saint do you look to and what saints' writings do you look to? Father Lewis. Now I'm wondering, Tom, if you've been reading my prayer journal. <laughs> this is Father Nagel's reading yours. Because what you're describing is exactly a, a pursuit I've decided to take on for this year, and that is uh, um, I want I, I want to, I got all kinds of books. I want to get back to I find I'm you know like St. Ignatius Loyola I'm getting more inspired to want to to pursue the holy things of heaven with greater zeal when I'm immersed in the lives of the saints and so uh, the books that I'm going to be reading this year at least the first part of the year so I'm starting by rereading again the Jesus series by Pope Benedict I'm going to just start at the tippy top Jesus and then uh, I looked on Ignatius Press to see what what do they have published that are Biographies, biographies of saints, and I, I can't remember which ones I found, but I found five or six and just ordered them all, and they're on their way. Um, so that's my project. I want to like, you know, I need to step it up my game. And if I'm reflecting, reading about Jesus Himself in the Gospels, of course, but also in those great books by Pope Benedict, uh, and then the lives of the saints. I think that's. I'm, I'm very excited to see how the Holy Spirit works in me through this project. Nice. I can't again. You ask which saints. I can't remember which ones. I believe one of them is a biography of Joan of Arc, and I've never read any of her biographies. So this really. Is How about yeah. Mark Mark Twain? Not even Mark. It's Twain's. amazing. I'll yeah. hand it to you on the way out. Okay. <laughs> that but you will not put it down. Yeah. It is so powerful. Good. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I I think uh, 
Elias and Joan of the Ark, including Mark Twain's are very good. You'll, it'll, it'll really work for you. I, I agree also, Tom, in that the idea of, you know, I think a Protestant would listen in on this and say, why are you reading these saints? Why don't you just read the scripture? And, and I would say, sure, that's, that's certainly true. And, and so what you're, but what you're looking at and what I find so invigorating about reading the lives of the saints is you're, you're looking at Christ and as lived out in a particular human being. And, and that makes it's not abstract. Um, it's something very concrete and historical in an impersonal way. And so it gives you hope that, you know, that could also happen in my life. It's just so it's just really the idea of the translation of Christ into another human being and that how exciting it is when they they live that way. And I I, I also agree with uh, Father Lewis that, you know, you, you are describing what I've been trying to do recently. I think it's been kind of a difficult last, you know, I don't know, fall, autumn, uh, et cetera. And I, I realize I didn't have a new saint to read. I don't, because that really is something that invigorates. And so I was reading this little book. It's called um, Pray for Us, 75 Saints Who uh, Received Holiness Through Sin, Suffering, and Sacrifice, or something like that. But anyway, one of them was St. Francis Regis, um, the 17th century Jesuit, who I had heard of regularly, and I knew that John Vianney was sought, sought out his intercession when he needed to pass the Latin exam in his seminary so he could become a priest. But I didn't know anything about him. So I, I got this old bi- biography and well, you know, from mid-20th century. And I just read it about St. Francis Regis. And it was incredible just how much he w- went out to serve the people in this, the little mountain villages of France uh, after the religious wars had destroyed everything. So anyway, it, it was a reinvigorating and uh, you know convicting story of a life of, of se- service to people uh, to the laity, and he was a missioner, and really, again, fired me up again. So, I, Tom, and that's that sort of strategy really works, and I would encourage it. All right, so this is this is too funny because one of the things when Carrie and I were reflecting and praying and talking about this new year, what we had committed to do was use technology less, uh, and I was waiting for one of one or other of you fathers to say. One of the things that holds back in advance of the gospel in the lives of Catholics that keep us uh, below deck is the use of technology. Now, you mentioned the idea, Father Lewis, of being comfortable in the life that we have. And I think one of the main sources of comfort isn't just a, a soft couch, but it's the soft couch where you're binging on some you know, TV series or movies or, again, even just wasting life, literally dissipation, the wasting of life on a smartphone. And so I, uh, I, I said to Carrie, great, let's do something about that. And she, she came up with the idea, let's read instead. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, done, let's go. So you see that pile of books I've got there, Father? Yep. Yeah, I've got a nice stack of books. You see the collected readings of St. John of the Cross, writings of John of the Cross in there? I see the Confessions of St. Augustine, I see. <laughs> and that's what Carrie's reading. Oh, okay. Carrie's reading the Confessions of St. Augustine, and she's reading... Uh, 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 the Brothers Karamazov, uh-huh. of all things, right? I'm like, really? Okay, go for it. Um, do you see that sign on the wall over there, that little uh, wall hanging? Can you see what that says? Not all who wonder are lost. Where did that come from, Father Lewis? The Lord of the Rings. Lord of, of the Rings, and that's what I'm reading. I was like, nice. if I'm launching in my year, I'm going to read the Lord of the Rings because it's all about 
a journey that's a great adventure, that is a mission that is beyond you, that comes upon you, that breaks into you, that calls you beyond yourself into situations that are going to just completely stretch you, and you have to rely on help from others and outside, and, and yet there's something at stake, and you've got to say yes, and are you going to decide, and can you discern, and what's going on? And I'm like, it is the most amazing series. That really, that, that trilogy is, for me, so informative of what it means to live the gospel that I get super inspired by reading it. And I, uh, and now anytime I'm reaching for my phone, I reach for the book instead. It, it is, it's been transformative. Yeah. The, the effect it's had on my life where I'm no longer like my, my main activity online. It's kind of humbling to share is watching chess games. <laughs> okay, there you go. Or playing chess, sure. right? That's it. Now, it's it's innocent enough, but it's still a waste. It's just a, compared to, I mean, you know, okay, I could do a little bit of it, but wait a minute. Why would I spend the time that I have doing that when I could read a book like The Lord of the Rings and get stirred up and and advance in my, in my consciousness of mission? So reading books as a way of crowding out technology and it's like it don't just say no to drugs you have to say yes to something yeah. don't just say no to that dopamine hit of screens say yes to reading reflection silence contemplation journaling all those activities that all of a sudden can start to bloom and blossom if you take time to set apart to read Ah, there we go. Father Nagel, am I singing your song over there? Amen. Preach it, brother. <laughs> You're singing my song. Actually, my song, but it's, you know, I'm, a, I'm in a complete agreement with you. You're, you're a wise man beyond years. And I would just say, you know, I, I also love the Lord of the Rings and, and the whole inkling thing. And one of the blessings of this Christmas was I found out that there's a new expanded edition of the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien that I'm currently reading. And it, he describes in those letters to people how he, you know, what the Lord of the Rings is about, how he wrote it, um, the tr tr trials and tribulations and everything. So, um, but I, I think that idea of keeping a stack of books and, yeah, again, some of it is purely spiritual. Some of it is great literature, like the uh, Dostoevsky. And, I, you know, again, I think that that's something that can be very valuable. How about you, Father Lewis? Well, I'll stick with the uh, the books of the saints, I think, for now. But, um, you know, it's interesting. You, you're again reading my spiritual journal. I've already decided that uh, this coming Advent, I'm going to uh, make my glorious return pilgrimage to the Middle Earth. And uh, <laughs> Are you really? I, I try to do this every, uh, about every five years or so. When COVID hit, I did it three times in one year, and that was like, whoa. I mean, that's a, but, a bit much even for me. But um, I'm already feeling the... Uh, the uh, the, uh, the, the, I'm hearing the gulls across the sea calling me to the shores. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, and it's, uh, I, I was listening, it was, uh, I was listening to a podcast, uh, and it must have been about six months ago, and this person was talking about technology and the deleterious effects, the negative impacts of it. And she said something that I thought was very brilliant because it was something that I had said. <laughs> uh, but she went on about it in a way that I just hadn't heard other commentators discuss. And that was the way that technology uh, destroys um, the ability to be silent. Mm -hmm. And if you are unable to be still, if you're unable to contemplate, then you lose the 
dimension of depth. You lose that dimension of being able to, that dimension of presence. The, the concept of a person's presence means seeing beyond the surface. Because how many times are you physically with somebody, but they're not present to you? Yeah. And it's oftentimes mm. technology that is, is, is ruining their capacity to actually be present to you. But if you're present to someone who's present to you, you know that there is something literally deeper going on. There, there's, a, there's an interiority that is able to develop. So folks, when, when you hear Father Nagel and Father Lewis and myself talk about, oh, read books, it's more than just, oh, this is a, a healthy discipline to help you diminish how much time you're spending on technology. No, we're talking about a level of human formation that is also a precursor to, and it accompanies spiritual formation and spiritual growth, especially if you're going to meditate and contemplate, which requires the use of our interior faculties. So you're nodding, Father, Na mm -hmm. uh, Father Lewis. Well, I mean, one of those interior faculties you mentioned is, is the imagination. And when we can uh, you know, use our imagination in a way that el does elevate us closer to God, I think reading books helps that because I, ha I can't... I can't see Middle Earth. I'm going to imagine it. Um, you know, I'm going to take the words that Tolkien puts down, and I'm going to put together the whole the whole scene and the whole action in my imagination. Whereas screens, it's you know flooded with pictures and videos and things. That's great that they made pretty good movies about the Lord of the Rings. But if I'm using that as an excuse to not read Lord of the Rings, um, then I'm I'm letting someone else's imagination, you know, do that for me, and so I'm diminishing in that one of those important God-like God, uh, qualities of my human mind, which is the imagination. And I think that also all those things you said about reading are true, Tom, and it's not, it's not just about getting information, but it's when you sit down to a book, you're, it's kind of a mini relationship. I mean, you have to be able to commit um, to absorb someone's writings and so, again, even the attentiveness of a, to a person, you can, again, you can kind of practice that in terms of, I'll sit down with this um, life of a saint or this work of spirituality or this um, famous novel, whatever it is. Um, and that's, a, I don't want to say a skill, but it's a, it's a requirement that I be able to, um, if I want to relate to other people, um, I'm going to have to have that practice of being able to commit and then to pay attention be attentive over time uh, to a communication from this other. So I do think it's, it's hugely important. Yeah, so many gifts that come from, from that. And I think that, again, we've lost a, a lot of sight of that. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, we'll finish off our comments on this. And then I want to bring us into another way that we can be elevated in our own embracing of the gospel. We'll talk about that in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you. So today, Father uh, Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis and myself, Dr. Tom Kern, we are talking about uh, the gospel and letting the gospel come more alive in us. And we've been using the concept of reading books, reading about the saints, reading uh, writings by the saints as a particularly powerful way to stir in us a, um, uh, a, an overcoming of lethargy, of sloth, of resisting going to that next level. 
and uh, the last point that we talked about was the idea of being silent, being still, reflecting. Uh, there, I, I'll just mention it in passing. There's that book, the Intel, uh, the Intellectual Life. Was that uh, Sertelange, uh who wrote that book on? Uh, and, and he talked about the vocation to the intellectual life, and basically how one's whole day, how you sleep, uh, uh, how you—it's like kind of living a, a monk life existence, a very ascetical existence, for the sake of advancing in your the life of your mind. And it was really it was stunning to to read that uh it was obviously someone who had followed that path and it's something that i don't think that we really ponder that much that there are intellectual vocations Mm -hmm. there are vocations that require the setting apart of one's life for the sake of developing one's mind i think you find that in some of the religious orders even so they have the vocation the big v vocation of um of the religious life, but uh, for example, here in uh, our diocese of Spokane, there's a, a small group of um, Benedictine friar uh, monks. Two of them are priests, and I think one is not yet a priest. But their specific charism that they discerned, and they came from other monasteries to meet here, is the pursuit of uh, growth and in, in, in the intellectual mind, the intellectual formation. And um, I don't know them too well, or or how they go about that, but. That is what they've quickly become known for amongst the the faithful here in Eastern Washington. Currently, they're hubbed over in Sprague, Washington, at um, at the uh, uh, Mary Queen of Peace. Uh, no, Mary Queen of Heaven Parish. Um, but anyway, um, they, they've they've gone out of their former monasteries to pursue specifically this. So they've they've definitely sensed that that uh, vocation within a vocation to, in a particular way, pursue the intellectual life. Well, and how about you, Father uh, Nagel? Because not only, uh, I mean, you were discerning at one point, not only a, a monastic life, but a, a life that was very solitary. Was there a dimension of the formation of the intellect that was connected to that at all? You know, I, not necessarily the Carthusians, although maybe the general idea of monastic life, I think, was. I, for those who, you know, most people haven't heard this story probably, but I... I was originally thinking of, that I was being called to a monastic vocation. It was fairly late in my discernment that I just started to think about being a diocesan priest. And part of it was because during my coming back to the church and my formation as a, a, a new, a returned Catholic, that I was, I was doing the intellectual pursuit. I was in a doctoral program at Johns Hopkins University in American history, and that was my in, that's what I was all about. I actually have to admit, I have not read the book that you that you mentioned, Tom. But the idea of that intellectual life—that's that's what I was, you know, that was what I was headed towards. And so, I, you know, eventually, what I, I determined, I I did not only simply seek out the Carthusians. I also uh, looked into the Dominicans on the, the East Coast Dominicans, precisely for this reason, thinking, you know, this seems like a call within a call in some ways to have this intellectual life as a teaching at some university or someplace. Um, and so I looked into that. But again, the long discernment process, God knows what he wants to do. And that wasn't exactly what I was called to. But what I was, the reason I was called out of that idea was really the idea that you know, I kind of like to engage in intellectual work, but in the world. Uh, I like to talk about ideas, etc. But I realize, I think he, God wants me to be in the world as a, as a parish priest, someone engaged in that way. So sort of 
the intellectual life where it meets, meets the road, so to speak, in, in people's lives. You can do that by preaching or teaching as a diocesan priest, too. Well, and this is, I think, another one of those realms where we can live uh, uh, below deck, where even those that are engaged in saying, oh, I'm learning the faith, are, have a lot of just, let me memorize certain teachings, certain arguments that are going to be faithfully Catholic, and think somehow I've mastered the faith now. And it's a, it's a type of attitude that, uh, if, if you will, uh, holds back from the dimension of mystery. Mm. The, mis- the, the dimension of our faith is mysterious. The, the, our, you know, the, uh, the 12 articles of the, uh, of the creed uh, are mysteries of faith. That each of them, each of these truths of the faith are mysteries, meaning that there's more to them than we'll ever exhaust. And so living in that dimension of mystery is part of what the intellectual life also involves. And I think that that's another way that we kind of settle for less. So, all right, I, I want to move us into the next one, and that is because, Father Lewis, you moved, not out of the parish, but you, <laughs> you ju- jumped on a plane because you had to speak in front of a couple thousand people. Yeah. Uh, was it about a week ago, or two weeks week ago could, now? Uh, no, a week ago today. We could go today, but we're recording this on a time that oh, was a yeah. week and a half a week ago. And, half ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so you are at the Sikh conference, and we're going to move into that after the break, but I want to talk about the Sikh conference because it feels like that's another powerful way that Catholics can get above deck, get on to the get get you know, get in line to the full banquet of riches that we have, and that is by gathering together with other Catholics who are fired up or who are seeking to be fired up. And we're going to talk about that by your attendance at the Sikh conference in just one minute. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. So, Father Lewis, the Sikh conference, uh, it's sponsored by Focus uh, Ministries, or the, that apostolate. Talk yeah. a bit about um, what happened there, and you gathered together with a few of your closest friends. Is that yeah. right? About last number I heard was twenty two thousand of my closest friends. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? All, all across the country, I think about eighteen thousand or so were uh, uh, maybe nineteen thousand were uh, college students and their campus missionaries, um, <coughs> and the rest were. Um, it's a growing number of people from the parishes um, because Focus uh, with their C conferences. You know, a lot of people, I think, if they know about Focus, they, they, they think, well, Focus is a campus ministry organization. And, uh, and they say, no, we're, we're discipleship formation and evangelization apostolate. And we're using campus ministries because that's a crucial age gap and a crucial uh, cultural environment to try to engage these folks. But they, I've heard it said that you know, a lot of people think Tesla is a car company. Tesla is a battery company, and they just showcase their batteries in cars, you know. Uh, so Focus is showcasing their evangelization um, ministry in ca- college campuses. But in the last five or six years have been trying to uh, branch out now because their Focus missionaries and their students are not on campus anymore. They're ending up in parishes, and they want to keep going with what, with what the Lord has given them while they were on campus and finding that a lot of parishes are just kind of stuck in this rut as a parish culture. Yeah, we're not about evangelization, all this. And so they get spiritually frustrated that they have no more outlet for this holy zeal that was instilled uh, upon them uh, in college. And so Focus wants to try to address that. And um, anyway, so that's kind of the short version of how we got from then to now. 
um, uh, our parish at St. Mary's, uh, as it turns out, is one of those first parishes that was the first responder to this uh, initiative by Focus. And um, I didn't know that they were trying to reach out to us. I was just trying to reach out to them. So that worked out. Uh, but anyway, so at Seek, yeah, why it is <laughs> Focus talks about a threefold dynamic of how to grow people as disciples. You win them over for Christ, you build them up as disciples, and then you send them forth as apostles. Win, build, send. And then as apostles, they reach out to still others. This is exactly in keeping with what Jesus did for the apostles, what the apostles did for their disciples, and so on down. And so um, I look at Seek as a gigantic upper room. This is where all of us who've been out in the mission fields and we're being beaten up and, and exhausted and it drained of our energies, and it's great because it's for the glory of God, but we need to be recharged and refilled. So we get together at Seek with 22,000 of our best friends, and we are just completely filled to the brim. The danger, I find, and they speak to this specifically, is that if we don't use these new energies, these new graces God has given us to go back into the mission fields, then we can get stuck in a different kind of rut where we're just living from conference high to conference high to retreat high to conference high. And we're, we're always like looking to skip over the valley, not to go back down into the trenches to engage and to help people bring others out. And in fact, there, I noticed that in the last three years, the focus final big speaker must have been given the task to guard, help these people guard against that. So the last big speaker on the last day was Chris Stefanik, who's a popular Catholic speaker. And I'll never forget how he ended his talk. He said, don't, don't forget that the first two-thirds of God's name is go. Mm-hmm. And then he walked off the stage. I thought, that's kind of hokey. But also, like, obviously, I'm still talking about it, so it's memorable. And he's telling us to go forth. So um, anyway, that's kind of the quick, uh, quick synopsis of how, focus, uh, how, C- the, how the C Conference went this year. That, that's awesome. Uh, and I want to dig more into that. Uh, but let's first get, Father Nagel, your own um, sort of experience or thoughts around the idea that gathering together with other, uh, others of the faithful who are fired up or who are seeking to be fired up is one of the ways to uh, catch some of that zeal, eagerness, and urgency for living and, and uh, handing on the gospel. You know, I, I've not been to a seat conference myself, though. Uh, this past one, my niece, uh, Caitlin Nagel, is a focus missionary, a new focus missionary, and she just got assigned this week. She, she arrived down at Arizona State University to do her ministry there. And so she was there, and she always has loved the C Conference, and I think that was instrumental in some ways of getting her uh, into focus itself. And uh, the, the, yeah, the wind builds sand. We had a, a former focus missionary as an evangelization minister of my old parish, the Holy Family, Andy Deka, and I'm just very, very impressed by the whole idea behind focus. And so I do agree that the idea of that what the grace received at these events, um, whether it's a conference or whether it's a retreat or whatever it might be, um, God wants us to use it. There's a there's a you know again a pull by date. Um, you you, you got to use it or lose it. And so uh, I think that they're great. I think of Seek as being kind of a young adult version of World Youth Day, um, at least in America. In fact, I think it's kind of taken over for America that role. Uh, that it used to have in, under John Paul II. That's my own opinion. But I think it's powerful for American church, and I, I give it every blessing. 
Yeah, for me, that's, that's such a wonderful thing to be able to have young adults, right? Young adults seems to seem to have been seem to be a generation that was lost, yeah. right? So if you say, let's take kids out of college right now, so twenty two to forty years old, how many do you have of that age group in your parishes, right? Where they are, um, uh, they're pursuing marriage in a Catholic vision with someone who is intentionally Catholic and have similar vision and ideals for their lives that are drawn from the faith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, I mean, I'm at the point where I have, you know, a 24-year-old, a 22-year-old, a soon-to-be 21-year-old, right, girls, and, and you know, they're looking around, and they're saying, we're all the good Catholic guys, right, who are fervent, faithful, and fired up, right? So fired up about living a Catholic married life. And um, it's it's not like the, the, you can't just sit around and, and wait and hope that God's going to send that person to go knocking on the door, right? Uh, so uh, the idea of being able to go to a conference, it's not like you're seeking your MRS degree, but that <laughs> it is a, it's a great place to... Um, to gain some confidence that uh, God is at work, God is firing people up, and those people are moving out into the wider church. So I think conferences like that have a, a tremendous power to be able to, um, to help encourage folks. So the great majority of the folks that are listening to this program are not 18 to 22. They're not going to go to a Sikh conference. So what would be some alternatives for them that you would see uh, I think of, for instance, coming up in just the next few weeks, there's a women's conference happening here in Spokane. And if you want to have a sense of uh, like the, the desperate need for something like that, the tickets become available on January 1st at midnight, right? So on, you know, the clock strikes midnight on January 1st, uh, you know, coming into it, right, the new year. And then the tickets become available, and they sell out by noon. Mm-hmm. Right, all 450 tickets are gone. Right, so Carrie had to get on New Year's morning and and buy a bunch of tickets for her little Bible study group. Oh, I missed it! I missed it! I'm on a waiting list! I'm on a waiting list! And this is by noon on New Year's Day. It's like a Taylor Swift concert. Like a Taylor Swift <laughs> concert, right? And and here's the thing: if you said who's the speaker, they're like, I don't know. Uh, what's the you know what what's the theme? I don't care. It's a bunch of women who love the Lord, love their faith. They want to get together and they want to have that fellowship. And yeah, you know what? We trust that the, the speakers will be fine and the themes will be fine. But it's just about getting together. So that for me is a a wonderful example of uh, the the need and the response when um, something shows up to meet that need. Yeah. And also coming up soon in Spokane is our annual men's conference, too. Um, I can't remember the dates of that. It seems like they moved away from the women's conference so that so that they could have their... Um, so, well, I guess partly because so that families aren't divided and left the kids at home because mom's here and dad's there. But <clears throat> yeah, the men in the diocese or men throughout the uh, listening area, um, you could look at those options or find out soon when those tickets are available. But those are things that, that yeah, I agree with you. People in their you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, they're not ready to jump on a bus and go to seek next year. Um, although that'd be awesome if we could just take everyone at St. Mary, we'll just rent 25 buses and make a big old pilgrimage. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but we can pray for that. 
But for everyone else, yeah, it's not like, well, I can't go to that or I'm not interested, so there's nothing for me. There are these things. In fact, if we if we make our desires for those th- kinds of things m- more known, you know, more widely known, then the women's conference won't settle for a venue that can only house 450 people. We'll have to look for bigger venues because more people want to put, be a part of this. This is precisely what Focus had to do. The first C conference for Focus was like 20 kids and two missionaries and Curtis Martin, the founder. And that was it. It was like some side room at Benedictine College. And this year it's 22,000. So as it grew, they have to look for bigger venues. But they didn't know that it would grow, except that more and more people wanted to participate. So this is how we can do it at the diocesan levels for the the events that we have going on here. Mm-hmm. I was just, one, one last point on that. The, uh, you know, we have a speaker series at St. Monica's coming up this spring with you know, five or six speakers, religious orders coming in and talking. But I, I don't think that we advertise very well. Uh, you know, there's an opportunity. I think people in, in their parish tend to only look at what's happening in their parish as opposed to, you know, the neighboring city or uh, the large archdiocese or, or diocese in your case. And I do think that that's probably an opportunity to miss. It's one thing I think Sacred Heart Radio does well. Um, at least it's an opportunity that there are options that are probably next door or next county over that would be, you could get a critical mass of people if we would just be willing to move out of our own little, you know, cubbyhole in a particular parish. It's very true, Father Nagel. Uh, when I was living on the West Side, we did those gift conferences every year at St. Stephen the Martyr, and it was the largest event of, uh, you know, sponsored by, uh, by the Catholic Church uh, in the diocese year after year. We had between 800 and 1,000 people show up every year at these yeah. gift conferences. And it was Sacred Heart Radio. You know, yeah. it was, that was our principal form of getting the word out. And that's such a huge gift. Uh, then there, I think there are opportunities that are smaller by nature, but they're more dense. Yeah. They're dense, and those are retreats. Yeah. Right? So, for instance, this weekend, Father Wade Menezes from, you know, the, he's a father of mercy. He's, he's on EWTN, right? He's heard on Sacred Heart Radio all the time. He's going to be at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center leading a retreat on the gift of the Eucharist. It's like, folks, do you realize he's flying into Spokane? I mean, come on. You don't want to miss a weekend retreat right, with Father Manisas. So there's my little plug <laughs> to go be blessed by the ministry of this priest who is known around the world, travels around the country, and he's landing in our area to do a weekend retreat on the gift of the Eucharist. So ihrc.net, immaculateheartretreatcenter.net. So there's my plug. Uh, it's shameless, but I, I, I want you to be blessed. And that's a great way to get that density and that fire. So before we go, Father Lewis, you got 30 seconds. You know, as we start the new year and we began the show and this conversation, how can we find ways, even in the, in the confines, the comforts of our own home, to continue growing in zeal and holiness uh, in the pursuit of the things of heaven? You know, dive into the scriptures, dive into the life of Jesus, dive into the lives of the saints through biographies, hagiographies, or the writings themselves, and uh, you will not be disappointed. Amen. So find those books. And actually, tomorrow on Sound Insight, I'm going to dig further in. I'm walking folks through some of my favorite books that have been a blessing to me, handing on those insights to them. So tune in tomorrow. I'm going to pick up my next book and start in on, again, handing on to you what I myself have received as a gift. God bless you.